any advice I would have for people trying to quote unquote make it as an artist, I would celebrate what making it looks like probably on a weekly basis. I would say, I just finished that chapter that's making it. Because the other great thing is even taking those steps, you're so much further ahead than the millions of people who aren't courageous enough to even do it. You're listening to the Creative Habits Podcast, exploring the boundaries of creativity with artists from around the globe. And now your host, Wyatt Christman. Hey, this is Wyatt with Creative Habits Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. This week we got Mary Jo Dion, and she'll be uh, touching upon some great ideas, including leveraging your passions to kind of transition to different elements and so you can live that creative life. Um, fun show, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Remember, uh, hit the Creative Habits Podcast store at creativehabitspodcast.com slash store and support the podcast in style. I've got some new shirts in there. Thanks a lot for everybody who already purchased. All right. So enjoy the show. All right. This is Wyatt with the Creative Habits Podcast. And this week, a uh, real treasure. Um, Mary Jo Dion is on and she has got a wealth of experience I just can't wait to jump into. Um Mary Joy, you want to give us just a little brief background for those that don't know who you are? Absolutely. Well, for starters, Wyatt, I can honestly say that's the first time I've ever been introduced as a real treasure. And I think I just want to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm going to change my bio on everything to just say real treasure as quoted by Wyatt. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, thank you for that. I I, I am a writer by trade. I, um, I've, I've sort of always called myself a writer, just like a lot of creative people we knew at a very young age, sort of who we who we were. So from the age of five on, I would always say, hi, I'm Mary Jo Dion. I'm a, a writer. And um, my mother actually told me that she used to find um, little things I'd write as if I was writing my bio on the back of a book. You know, Mary Jo Dion is a five-year-old girl who lives with her mom and, and her cat in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, that's a uh, city here in, in Canada and in the prairies. But anyway, I did go on to become a professional writer. I started my career as an advertising copywriter working at uh, multinational ad agencies based here in Canada, Vancouver and Toronto, but with sort of affiliate offices everywhere. So in that capacity, I've had the sort of extreme good fortune of getting to work on what we would call mega brands and, and learning in that capacity. But I've also had the also extreme good fortune of working on these more grassroots startup brands. However, I sort of um, get very antsy in terms of being a creative person. I love, 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 and am perhaps addicted to the idea of reinvention. And so if this if this uh, introduction's getting too long, Wyatt, you can take a virtual cane and like wrap it around my neck at any time. <laughs> but um, but I did end up about uh, 12 years ago, really getting an urge to try comedy writing and to try uh, to throw my hat in the ring to see if I could ever be a writer for Ellen DeGeneres. That was sort of what my goal was set on. And I knew in order to do that, I would have to have at least tried stand-up comedy. So in 2004, I started taking as much as I could in the way of learning about comedy writing. <clears throat> I became very, very fixated on that. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try stand up once. 
And I ended up getting severely bitten by that bug. And I did stand up for um, a number of years, never as a professional, but always as a very, very passionate, I suppose you could say hobbyist. It was my on the side thing for quite a while. And I performed in Vancouver and Toronto and New York and LA. So I had lots of positive experiences there. And then um, the reinvention sort of continued with this desire to um, to take my comedy writing and my stand-up comedy background and produce and perform my own one-woman show. And so that ultimately has been um, my not exactly latest passion, but one of my latest passions. And um, I do have a one-woman show now that I've taken uh, on the road and at shows here in Vancouver. And next up is uh, Edinburgh Fringe, or Fringe Edinburgh, I guess they say over there, in 2017. And um, yeah, and then my most recent incarnation is the launch of my podcast, where I take my background in interviewing people, which I always did for magazines, and I, I'm passionately um, in love with the interview process, and um, I take that love that I have for interviewing people and learning from other people, just as you do, Wyatt, and now I've taken that to the cyber waves with the launch of my podcast, Tea with a Titan. So is that the longest intro ever, or do you <laughs> wish Do you wish now we, we had just kept it at, she's a real treasure? Yeah, but you are real treasure, and you know one of the things that that really intrigues me is is your ability to transition or your to the different uh, passions that you have. And I'm wondering if there are some tips you have for people, you know, because w- the last episode we kind of um, it was a solo episode, but it delved into mm-hmm. that transition that's mm-hmm. kind of required these days. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Because as, as as things change so rapidly, we mm-hmm. really need to just kind of morph with those changes. There's no more just I'm a, a writer or I'm mm-hmm. a, a potter or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, w- whatever you might mm-hmm. be. There, mm-hmm. You need to morph as you move along. So I'm wondering, in, mm-hmm. your, in your morphing, uh, mm-hmm. do you have some tips for people who might be going yeah. through that? Yeah, you know, and I don't know so much if they will be tactical tips so much as it is more of an ideological tip. But when I was, uh, so my educational background, I did um, a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Education. And then after that, I really had this sort of hankering, um, to use perhaps a dated term, but I had this real desire to learn about ad copy. And I was... um, Leafing through a J. Crew catalog, uh, you're from or you're on the East Coast. I think J. Crew is J. Crew an East Coast company. I don't know. You know what? I sh- I used to shop in uh, New Hampshire all the time, and that's where I was introduced to J. Crew. But anyway, I was leafing through a J. Crew catalog one day, and I saw the copy sort of dancing around it on the page and telling this fun little story. And I was like, I could do that. It was also sort of in the day of the J. Peterman catalog. And I was like, I want to learn about that. So I took this ad copywriting program. It was a one-year post-grad program. And one of my professors said something there one day that absolutely shaped my um, thinking and my career moving forward. He said, we all, when we're shaping our careers as creative people, what we're building is a hat rack. And he said, it's up to us how many hooks we want to have on that hat rack. He said, most people will go out and build a career that is based on one hook. And that then when that hook is no longer needed, no one is throwing their hat on that hook and they are left sort of destitute. He said, your objective as a creative person is to hone and create as many hooks on your hat rack as you possibly can. 
And at the time, what he was talking about was more, uh, it was back in the day, this was 1998, so direct mail was really big, um, actual hard copy direct mail as a way to uh, reach, um, you know, potential clients and audiences in marketing. Today, obviously, it's more less so now. It's what's going on online and the rest of it. But um, I remember in my class, we had the option of learning how to write um, and put together these direct mail packages. And I remember going, I'm absolutely going to learn that because that's one more hook on my hat rack. But I remember the people in my class were like, no, 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 I just I just want to do TV. I just want to do radio. Like TV is way more sexy, way more glamorous, right, to be on a TV set or a TV shoot doing a 30-second ad rather than putting together a, a DM pack. But that was sort of the beginning of me realizing, no, I am going to learn as much as I humanly possibly can. And in doing so, it has kept me really insatiably um, diving into anything new that I can ever learn about. And it's really made me, I'm sort of, I guess, 18 years into my career as a professional writer, and I've never been not busy. And it's because some agencies think of me as, oh, you know what, Mary Jo's the long copy gal. You know, we've got a catalog we need to write. We'll, we'll get her. Some agencies see me as the radio person. Oh, Mary Jo writes radio scripts. Let's get her. Some agencies do see me as their TV person. Oh, we need a TV campaign. Let's get her. Um, so it's really neat because while agencies in particular, based on my relationship with them, might think of me as um, uh, as a specialist in the area that we've worked on, I have so many different agencies and so many different relationships that I work on or, or, or work people work with in so many capacities. It just sort of ended up shaping um, the way that I created my career and then all of the things that have spun out from that. So I guess my tip would be ideologically and philosophically, philosophically always be open to creating new hooks for your hat rack. Nice. I love it. The yeah. hat rack. That yeah. and it makes sense. It really does. And it's funny because that program was in 1998. And what I learned there in that program were more the big picture, um, big picture viewpoints and um, philosophies more than the tactical stuff. And well, I think it's like that with, with anything. I mean, you, you can always learn a new you know, tactical thing, but it's, if you're shape, if you're actually, actually able to reshape your view on something, that's the thing that you take with you forever. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. You've, you've done all these, um, uh, you know, aspects of yourself, brought out that passion in, in yourself and yeah. you've allowed yourself to, to just grow and blossom in, in that next uh, part and they kind of feed into each other. So it's great because yes. they kind of piggyback and you need that to, to, to yes. leverage and make sure that the next transition is successful. And right. really here's, here's where I see a lot of people um, stumble, uh, myself right. included, obviously, um, sure. that, that time when you can say, okay, I'm a writer, I'm a performer, and now I'm a podcaster, but when can you call yourself a podcaster? When is that moment when you can say, uh, right. okay, I am that person that I've right. declared myself to be because it's that fraud syndrome or what yes. have you that a lot yes. of entrepreneurs put out there and it's been yes. discussed a lot and so on. But I thought I'd get your take on 
Mm-hmm. That kind of um, yes. uh, space in your head that kind of yes. traps yourself. <laughs> yes. Well, I again, I have um, one sort of uh, you know just similar to the, the the very simple idea of building, uh, creating as many hooks on your hat rack. I also have sort of a one line thought on that. Uh, your, your your most recent question or thought as well. A friend of mine is sort of the personification of successful. She's a best-selling author, and then she started a, a perfume, a fragrance brand that is like the number one selling perfume brand, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's in every big department store in the States. Now she's created a lipstick brand. She's got a documentary coming out. She's just a complete, uh, multifaceted and incredibly inspiring person. And I asked her a question of that nature. Once and she said to me, she said, Mary Jo, don't wait for an invitation to the banquet. (laughs) And when she said that to me, I don't know if my life changed, but a huge corner of a room in my head changed. You know, it was like, right, who are we expecting to invite us to the banquet? I'm no longer, to that end, I no longer wait for someone to deem me you know, a performer or a podcaster or a writer or whatever it is, I invite myself to the banquet. And that is her, her advice that day was sort of a very pivotal for me. So even for me, when I started my podcast, my very first uh, paragraph that I sort of uttered in my welcome was, you know, hi, I'm Mary Jo Dion, principal of Mary Jo Dion Productions. I'm a writer, performer, speaker, and as of today, podcaster. You know, it's sort of that moment where I'm claiming it, and I just don't wait for an invitation to the banquet. It's it's perfect, yeah, and yeah. and you can't really do that internally yeah. though because you you don't want to wait for that third uh, party validation or yeah. external validation, but you need that internal part. And yeah. so, what made you um, able to accept that internal aspect that gave you the drive to just you know go for it? Yeah, you know, I think it's well, it's funny, like. I think when you decide that you're going to live a creative life, <laughs> and a, a creative life is such um, a, an anomaly when compared to, like, let's just say you want to be an accountant, you know what the direct path is to being an accountant, to getting those letters after your name. You know, you're going to go to school for this many years, you're going to get this designation, and then your business card will say it. And when you're a creative person, we don't have that direct direct route. And so you depend entirely on your own radar and your own self and the confidence to claim it. And I think that for me as a creative person, because I decided at such a young age that creativity was going to be my life, I've always approached it as a career. So I've never approached it as something on the side. And so I've always taken it as seriously as I would take any career had I embarked on a different road altogether. So for me, I am really, really big on faking it until you make it until it's like until the rest of you catches up with what you're telling you know, until until the rest of you catches up with the internal di- dialogue you're making yourself say, like I make myself say, uh, I am a writer, I am a speaker, I am a performer, I am a podcaster, and then it's like all of a sudden I am all those things. You know, it takes it takes that sort of I am not going to wait for an invitation to the banquet. I am these p- things. This is who I am, and I own it. And I remember 
once Jerry Seinfeld talking about, I, I think I read it, he talked about looking out his window when he was just getting started and he uh, really wasn't in the mood to be writing material that day, but he looked out his window and there was a bunch of guy construction workers working out front and uh, on jackhammers. And he's like, they probably don't really want to be at work today. There's probably some place they'd rather be. And Jerry Seinfeld felt the same. He's like, you know, I don't really want to be writing material today, but I have to treat this as if it's my job, just in the same way that those construction guys show up for work every day. So for me, I think in order to get the internal believing it, you need to create the name of your podcast, Perfect Creative Habits. You need to create habits and ritual that remind you every day, this is who you are and it's up to you to claim it. So it's literally showing up every day and reminding yourself every day. And it's like, you know, you say it enough times, it's your reality. And if you, uh, you embrace it, eventually it's going to embrace you back. It just becomes sort of that unshakable truth. And it is the truth. I sometimes think the things that we most doubt in ourselves, uh, I just interviewed an amazing woman, Suzanne Biro, and she had a fantastic quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson just about, and I'm going to completely mess it up, but the, the thought being that when to have the, um, we, we doubt our thoughts because they're our own. And that as soon as we're able to recognize our own thoughts as being true, that is the, 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 the our truth, our real truth, um, that is genius, you know, and it's that, uh, it's just that really, really being committed to, um, the dedication of, of b- believing in yourself. And that sounds super corny, but there it is. And you know, one of the things that you get, uh, as you move along in mm-hmm. that path is val- is the third party validation. So you might get yeah. award, you get recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about the internal part when when have you felt that internal greatness as an artist when when you know an mm. example of an inner moment when mm. you experienced and and felt yeah. felt that greatness it wasn't the third party it was just inside right. you this right. is it i, I and, love you know it. and it's true that for as awesome as third party recognition is um when you get sort of addicted to third party recognition the flip side is then you get impacted by third party rejection And so for me, it's always been less about the third party and more about what's going on. What is my internal radar telling me? And so for me, the best experience I've had to date as a creative person was transitioning from ad copy, which I still do. And I still have tremendous respect for, for a whole host of other reasons. But when I work on an ad campaign, it's all about third-party recognition. It's all about, is the client happy? Is it going to be up for an award? And is it going to um, drive their bottom line? For me, though, as a creative person above and beyond ad copy, it's been about my one-woman show. And my one-woman show is called Glowing, a reproduction production. And it chronicles sort of my really, really, really hideous uh, journey to motherhood and my horrifying pregnancy. And when I ultimately decided to bring that to the stage, that really bad nine-month period, um, when I performed that on stage and every single word that I said in that performance was the truth and it was based on my experience. And for me, even though this is going to sound third-party-ish, 
it was an internal thing. I knew I was connecting with people. And so that is kind of a third party thing, but that feeling of connection for me as an artist being up on stage, doing 45 minutes of material that was my story and, and having it hit the bullseye and resonating in the way that I had only ever dreamt of experiencing. That was an unbelievable high and continues to be an unbelievable high for me. Nice. Yeah. And, and you relay that same connection. It seems like you relay that same connection with the um, people that interview for your podcast. You know, you yeah. make that connection with them and it feeds uh, that same dynamic, um, you know, a different uh, mm-hmm. uh, di- dynamic because it's one on one, but you're mm-hmm. still reaching an audience. You don't get that feedback from the large audience, but it, I can yeah. see where it'd be the same thing. That's, it's a beautiful, uh, uh, now, now you're, you're continuing that, um, and you'll have more of that show this year and next year. Is that right? Yeah. With my one woman show. So what I did was it debuted in Vancouver in 2013. And then I did, um, I did a, sh- uh, a series of shows in 2014 and 15. And now what I'm doing is I'm just about to pick a few more dates in Vancouver as sort of like quote unquote rehearsal shows, even though they will be like, you know, actual full fledged shows. But for me to sort of, um, refine my one hour show, cause I've been adding to it so that I can take it to Edinburgh next summer to the fringe festival in 2017 good good so what's the if if there were um a little window into into that show as to why you think people resonate so much with your experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. what what is what is the that part that well it's really funny because the tagline of the show is it's the show for anyone who's ever given birth or been born (laughs) <laughs> so so we kind of cast a wide net. And for me, my experience was ridiculously over the top, terrible pregnancy. And that perhaps the details are perhaps unique to me. But I think, you know, and I know so much of what you um, talk about is the hero's journey is I think all of us have had that big goal big adventure that's been sort of ripe with hurdles and obstacles. And so while the details of my story are unique to me, there's parallels in our own lives of when we've gone after something that is just like, you know, continually getting knocked down and back up and knocked down and back up and then major crisis and then back up and then you get this thing, you know, and you hear the angels sing. So that to me, it doesn't have to be about having a baby. It can be about any number of things. That said, anytime there's been moms in the audience, which is frequently the case, I'm bombarded after the show with people telling me their stories. And similarly, like I say, it's the show for anyone who's ever given birth or been born. People come and tell me the story of, you know, what their mom tells them happened when they were, you know, um, when their mom was pregnant with them. So there's just so many universal um, bits to it that I've been so happy people aren't there. And I, I'm so happy people are in the audience not thinking, well, this is just her story. I love that they're thinking about their own stories. Yeah, yeah, you will, and you should uh, have a recorder with you, and afterwards get those stories, uh-huh. and then you should. Yes. Uh, there's a book in there, obviously, right? Yes, yes. Well, actually, my next creative project, I'm just, I'm just preliminarily beginning now. I'm working on it as a screenplay with a writer friend of mine in Los Angeles. Oh. So. 
Yes. So that's sort of the next uh, the next incarnation after Edinburgh Fringe in 2017. Um, so I've still got a year to kind of get the the um, the stage show um, perfected, I guess, as much as you ever can perfect anything, I should say, at least polished. Polished is a better word. Um, then then we will sort of really embark on pushing it as a screenplay. Well, yeah, you, you know, it. Uh, I briefly, you, you know, the movie When Harry Met Sally and how they oh. had that different interviews, right? Yes. It, it makes me think of that almost, you could also, almost incorporate that and record the different people as you go to these different places and then and use I, that. I think you and I might be sharing a brain right now because When Harry Met Sally, like anything, Nora Ephron is one of my gods and I, I miss her terribly. I was so sad when I learned of her passing and it was such a surprise, which uh, by the sounds of it, it was a surprise to even some of her closest friends that she had um, been ill and and not let people know. But When Harry Met Sally is so brilliantly written. But I also love that you just brought that up because Nora Ephron is someone who continually reinvented herself. And she inspires me so much. Like when we talk about sort of that whole... How do you transition? I think one of the other things we can say is find someone who you admire, whose um, whose inventory of work you admire, and remind yourself, well, they did it. Like for me, it was Nora Ephron. It's like, right, Nora Ephron was a journalist, and then right, she was an essayist, and then she became a screenwriter, and then she became a director, and you know, like all of these things. So that's circling back to one of our earlier topics. I think that you uh, just brought up a very important uh, important writer. Yeah, yeah, and it'd be interesting to see those stories kind of woven in. Yeah. I, you know, to to kind of um, touch upon one of the things uh, you, you had um, mentioned. Well, yeah. in a, not directly in our conversation now, but you had mentioned the yeah. the um, MJDP squared. You know, oh, so yeah, 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 yeah. the, the yeah. four sides of which, you know, each represent a factor that helps you decide what projects you're going to take on. And and so I yes. I, I thought, you know, b- because it's it's one thing this transition, but it's also okay. People are artists, well, and entrepreneurs are trying to decide. Okay, do I run with this? Yes. You know? And yes. and so it'd be great if we, mm-hmm. you know kind of went into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Sure thing. So what you're referring to, so you and I had sort of like each had it briefly up front. Um, and, um, and what you're referring to is a tool that I sort of developed that really helps me kind of keep my focus when it comes to who I am as a creative person and what types of projects I really want to be contributing to. Meaning I can get sucked in because I'm self-employed. There's sort of no start to a day, no end to the day. If you think you're going to work nine to five, well, then you can work seven to seven. And then all of a sudden you can work 5am to 9pm and all, you know, there's no real parameters. So I really had to come up with a way to keep my workload sane and a way to keep my, um, uh, just my psyche, you know, saying what, what projects do I really want to be part of? And so I came up with this thing um, now called the MJDP Square, Mary Jodian Productions Square. So there's four sides of it. And I very quickly run through each of the four sides before I decide if I'm going to take on a project or even if it's a project of my own. If I believe in it, this is how I sort of determine whether it's it's worthy of adding to the list. So I ask myself, um, do I believe in it fundamentally, what the messaging is or what the outcomes or the strategy is? Would I be having fun? Like, do I like the people who are involved in the projects or would I like the project or would I like the people who are going to be involved in the project? Um, Would I be learning? That is 
huge for me because like I say, I love the concept of continually developing hooks on my hat rack. So would I be learning? And the fourth thing is, is it financially lucrative or does it have the potential to be financially lucrative? That said, I only need three of the four sides for me to take on a project. So for example, a number of years ago, I worked for a magazine. I really believed in their messaging. I had a blast. So that was one side. Was it fun? I had a blast working with the people. Was I learning? It's where I learned how to interview people. So I got to interview really, really fascinating people. And so I was always learning, but it was not financially lucrative. They didn't have a big budget. I didn't make a lot of money working um, on projects with that magazine, but it didn't matter because I had three of the four on the square. That said, for a while, I was a writer uh, for a national, well, sorry, international fast food chain here uh, at one of the agencies I worked with here in Vancouver. So I am a vegetarian and I'm an animal rights advocate. So And I was that person while I worked for this particular fast food chain. I would wake up every morning and I would feel really hollow and angry and upset. And I was like, okay, why, 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 why? And then I was like, oh, right. I'm a vegetarian animal rights activist and I am committing again to another 12-hour day working on a campaign for this particular fast food chain. So when I created my square, I went through it. I was like, do I believe in it? No. Was I having fun? No. Was I learning? No. Was it financially lucrative? Yes. But it was only... It, I'm it sorry, but that—that's a yeah. stand-up. It's got to be a stand-up comic uh, routine, you know, <laughs> or or Sadly, even it's just my life. <laughs> even a series. You know, you could see a series of somebody working their animal rights it's activists true. working for a fast food company. Oh, you it's true. There's so much material there. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So I was working on this, you know, sort of never-ending campaign, and when I ran through my square, I was like oh my gosh, it's one out of four. I can't be here anymore. So I finished the campaign and then I, um, you know, it's one of the the joys of being self-employed. I'm a freelancer. Um, and so I was able to sort of withdraw from working on that particular client moving forward because I think I ended up working for them for six or nine months at least. And it was um, just completely flew in the face. I was like, right. You know, and sometimes you need a formula when the answer is right in front of you, but, you know, we're thinking, uh, oh, like we overthink things and it's like, oh, you know, but I need the money. It's like, well, you know what? Something else will come up that's more congruent. Now I have this amazing client in the States. Um, they're, the, um, they're called Best Friends Animal Society. Uh, and it's the home of the biggest sanctuary, um, domestic pets uh, sanctuary in um, North America, best friends animal sanctuary in Kanab, Utah. And as soon as I walked away from this fast food um, chain, I ended up being approached by them. And it's like, oh, wow, every four, you know, it's like, yeah, completely congruent with my values and an amazing client. I've been working with them ever since. And I still have lots of other clients, but it's like that one just, it was just like this uh, really sort of, um, you know, nature abhors a vacuum moment where the fast food chain, you know, international massive client left and this other amazing client fell into their, you know, took that spot that was vacant for, you know, probably all of three minutes because, uh, you know, my guides or whoever yes. were like, oh, there's a spot here. Let's put something better in there. Yes, the universe opening up, you know, once you let it uh, and yes. recognize that yes. 
that opposition, which was pretty obvious. But, yes, but, you know. exactly. Exactly. And so, it's just having courage. So I think, yeah. So that's the MJDP square. So do they all have equal weight, those four? Oh, that's a really interesting, um, interesting question. I've never actually thought of that. I'm going to say yes, although I get more excited. The most excited I get is the one about learning. And so I think even though they have equal weight, because to me, it really is, it's three, they've all, it's just got to have three out of the four for me to take on, um, to take on the project. So I suppose that says they have equal weight, but the one that gets me the most excited slash scared is the learning. And it's like right now with my podcast, it's like, I'm having fun. I believe in it and I'm completely learning, but right now it's obviously not financially lucrative. It's three weeks old. Um, but the learning thing, it's like every single time I do a podcast interview, I'm learning. And that just makes my head want to explode in a good way. Yeah. That learning aspect. And it's, um, yes. it keeps feeding you as you go. Um, yeah, it's, it it is it is addicting, but you know, eventually, like you said, you know, alluded to with the podcast, eventually, you know, those that other framework or other part of the square has to kick in, right? I mean, you know, yeah. the, the some sort of profit making uh, uh, possibility, maybe. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Like, yes, and I'm all for that. Absolutely, I'm completely open to that. I never shy away from the idea of abundance. But it's funny. Like, there's um there's a, a writer called T. Harv Ecker who talks about um, our relationship with um, finances and our relationship with abundance mentality and thinking. And he has this really cool concept that he calls getting in the corridor. And what he means by that is you might think that the thing you're in is what should bring you the 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 financial um reward so whatever that is, it's like, okay, I'm going to paint this painting and it's going to bring me the financial award or reward, or I'm going to write this book and it's going to bring me, you know, the financial reward, or I'm going to do this podcast and it's going to bring me the financial reward. But he actually says, really in doing those things, you're in a corridor, you're in a hallway now that you weren't in had you not embarked on that project. And all of a sudden now you're in a corridor with a whole bunch of doors and you have no idea what doors are going to open. So for me, um, I find anytime I do something that doesn't have that fourth side of the square, i.e. it's not financially lucrative, without fail, because I'm in a corridor, a door opens, that is. So, you know, maybe it's someone, for, for example, this has happened to me. I will do a keynote speech. I, I'm a keynote speaker. I will do a keynote speak at a charitable event that because I believe in it. I'm learning. I am, I'm having fun. Um, so I do this um, for, for no fee because I believe in the, in the charitable organization. But then without fail, someone in the audience is representing a corporation that does need a keynote speaker. And then that is a paid gig, right? So it's like, it's all of these things that whenever you're in the corridor, just be ready for other doors to open. So be okay if you're in a corridor and that corridor itself isn't rewarding you financially yet. Just expect a door to open or a whole bunch of doors to open, and those ones will. Nice. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to look at it because it, uh, otherwise, you might myopically go in a direction that won't, you know, necessarily yes. open, open those doors for you. And, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Being open. Yes. Nice. Nice. So uh, for, yeah. for those artists out there, do, do you have any, uh, you, you know, like, just out of pocket advice for those that are are trying to make it as an artist. 
Um, let me just think of that. To me, I guess we first have to define like what make it means, I guess, because to me, it was always non-negotiable. So it was like, this is unshakably who I am and where I am headed. And I'm going to do whatever it is I can to build my life in this way. And so making it always looked like different things along the way. So I started as an ad copywriter, but for me, even that was sort of quote unquote making it um, just because I was able to say, okay, I'm a writer. I'm, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to have to go, even though being a teacher wouldn't have been a terrible career. It wasn't the career for me. I had a bachelor of education, but I never ended up using it. It was sort of that I'll fall back on it. So for me making it was like, okay, step one, I have a career as a writer. Then what does making it mean after that? Step two, I got to try stand up. That felt like making it because I was on stage with a mic in my hand. Then, you know, what else was making it? Well, then all of a sudden I've done 75 um, sets of um, stand-up and having a blast and experiencing this great connection with audiences. So that was me. So to me, it's that if you're truly committed to quote unquote making it as an artist, recognize that making it has a whole bunch of steps on the way that you need to celebrate on the way up. Because, you know, it could even be... I, I know of a woman who's um, t- a successful television producer, and her one of her series was just picked up on a very large network on on a television network, and she's the executive producer, and and and, and her series has been set uh, has been picked up on this large. Uh, um, American-based, but internationally airing television network. And she said to me, I'm really excited to see where this might lead. And I was so floored by that because I said to her, what do you mean where it might lead? Can't this, yeah, can't this be the thing? Like, at, at what stage do we stop and say, the view from here is pretty great? You know, and so for me, any advice I would have for people trying to quote unquote make it as an artist, I would celebrate what making it looks like probably on a weekly basis. I would say, I just finished that chapter. That's making it. Because the other great thing is even taking those steps, you're so much further ahead than the millions of people who aren't courageous enough to even do it. There's an amazing book called The War of Art, not The Art of War, but The War of Art. And it's, um, I can't believe, Stephen Prescott, he wrote it, I believe. Stephen Prescott, he's a screenwriter. And he talks about the first movie he wrote. He was the writer for, of the screenplay, The Legend of Bagger Vance. But the first screenplay he wrote, which escapes me right now, was made into a movie and it didn't do well at the box office. And one of his screenwriter friends congratulated him on the on on the movie. And he's like, are you kidding me? It was a total bomb. And he's like, yeah, but you're in the arena. Like, that's the beautiful thing is anything you do, you're in the arena and that's a celebration. And I think that there's never really a day. I look at my friend, the woman television executive who's got her series picked up on this incredible network and she's not even celebrating that because she's just looking forward to where it quote unquote might lead. I just don't know at what stage have we ever made it. So that would be my biggest tip is just celebrating every single step. That's like a mini making it. Here, here, yeah, definitely. I mean, if yeah. you're, if you're, yeah, all those people, ninety percent of them, you know, they got the book in the drawer that never gets out. So, I mean, yes. yeah, definitely celebrate those chapters and however far you get yes. for sure. 
Um, that's, yes. that's a, that's a, that's a great answer. And yeah. Stephen Pressfield. Uh, yeah. The, yes. Pressfield. Sorry. Thank you. I said, yeah. press, thank you for that. Yeah. Stephen no, no, Pressfield. he's great. I subscribe to him. He's, he, okay. I, I always, uh, you know, I read the book on a regular basis. So Good. It, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. And, um, it? it is, it is. He has, he has another one out actually, but, uh, Oh, good. Yeah. I'll look for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Well, you know, I, Mary Jo, this has been this has been a great uh, great time, and, and uh, so many great quotes in here. I can't wait to pull them out. Oh, um, good. So I, you know, for those people who want to follow up, uh, you know, after the show, and and you know, kind of follow what you do, uh, where where should they go? Okay, well, because I'm a shameless self promoter and a huge opportunist, the first thing I would love to tell people to do is check out my new podcast, Tea with a Titan Conversations Steeped in Greatness. And that's downloadable every Tuesday on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all the rest of that good stuff. And then the second thing I would do is tell them to check out mjdion.com and I can be reached via that. Nice, nice. Well, it's it's been great having you on the show, and uh, definitely, uh, you know, the Tea with Titan show. Uh, it's 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 been fun to listen to. Um, oh, so. good. Well, likewise, I've uh, really, really. I'm so glad I found you too. I'm just like um, super pumped about uh, this whole new world of podcasting. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Yes, it's fun, yes. and it's it's getting uh, more and more. You know, p- more and more people are recognizing the benefits of just you know popping on some headphones and whatever they're yep. doing and listening to some you know, conversation. So exactly. Well, thank you so much for having me, Wyatt. I'm really, really grateful. Thank you.